in the final week of our Red Letter Challenge, and this week's message is the last of that series. It is the culmination of our examination of five principal themes in the red ink of your Bible, the words of Jesus. And as Connie mentioned in the prayer, these have been known to us uh, as we've, we've talked about being with God and experiencing God with us. We've talked about uh, serving and giving. We've talked about uh, all of the, the various aspects of, of uh, intimacy with God and the expressions that come out of it, the natural expressions that come from that. And then we come to the final one, that is going. And this is hard for most of us because it requires uh, more than just the uh, giving of things. You know, we've, we've come a long way if we've reached the point where we feel comfortable with serving. We've reached a terrific point when we feel comfortable with giving our, our money and our resources, our time. And, and yet going requires a level of faith that puts more uh, on you than on anything else that you've done. Um, we can learn, for example, the discipline of making extra time for religious activity and extra time for God and, and extra time for uh, serving. And we can learn the discipline of giving and we can even become comfortable with it. But the part about going that keeps most people from doing it is that it requires discomfort. You can't do the going part unless you're willing to be uncomfortable. And that's why it's so hard for everybody because most of us like being comfortable. It's a natural thing. Uh, there's nothing unusual or, or wrong about being someone who, after sitting in your comfortable chair or laying in your comfortable bed for a while, you just don't feel like moving. <laughs> it feels good, and, and that's the way it is, too, with certain parts of our lives. We, we have a certain level of comfort with our routines, with our religious activity, for example. Many people come to church every Sunday out of habit. And that's a good habit, and it's an admirable habit. And the pandemic taught us how easy it is to get out of the habit <laughs> and how hard it is to get back in the habit. But the real challenge in this going imperative that Christ puts upon us is to embrace discomfort, to relish it even, you know, I, I've often said to myself, the Lord must be doing something with me and through me because I'm really uncomfortable right now. <laughs> and, and what I've found is that what we would like is for the devil to give us a break once in a while. We would like for our lives to be just a little less stressful once in a while. We'd like to feel as though we're cruising in an envelope of divine protection. And those are moments to relish, to be sure, but they are also easily mistaken for a belief that you are operating within God's will. 
And maybe what's really happening is, is you know, you're, you're not particularly threatening to Satan and his enterprise. His, his whole purpose, you know, is to defeat the holy purposes of our divine Lord. And if you're not affecting the Lord's kingdom in any particular way, then you're not a particular threat to the enemy. So in a way, discomfort is a strong indication that you are moving in the right direction. It's probably a little uncomfortable to hear that even. So welcome to the war with our enemy in a very real sense, the war we've all been reading about over in Europe and the war between the saints and God's enemies are the same. And there is an enemy that is devoted to your apathy and going requires that you dismiss that apathy and embrace discomfort. What we would call it in the best sense of the word is discipleship. Discipleship is what we're ultimately describing in these five themes of Jesus's words. And discipleship then has to be about embracing discomfort. Think of what Jesus said about discipleship. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He said, preach repentance for forgiveness of sins in Christ's name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, Samaria, and the world. And you are witnesses. That means you say what you see. You tell what you know. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus told them, through the Holy Spirit as they embraced the welcoming, welcomed the Holy Spirit into their midst in the first and second chapter of Acts. The last thing he said to them before he ascended into heaven was, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world. He said to Peter, one of these days, Peter, if you're committed to feeding my sheep, then you will find yourself being forced to go where you don't want to go, doing things you don't really want to do. You won't even be able to dress yourself when you get up in the morning, simply meaning that every decision he makes would be spirit-guided, and it would probably take him in a direction he'd rather not go. So the message of going is powerful, frightening, and yet it is imperative. You, do, you have to go when Jesus calls you. And, and the, the honest truth about being a Christian is, is that if it's comfortable, you're probably not doing it right. That's a really hard thing to hear. I know it's not easy to say, and it doesn't particularly make me happy to say it because I have to live up to it, you know? I have to stand in front of you and say this, and then because I stood in front of you and said it, you're all watching. <laughs> but that doesn't change anything. That's really what being the body of Christ is. And so as we 
talk about going, we have to understand that it's an essential aspect of discipleship. Many of you probably got something in the, re, uh, in the email from me this week on behalf of your leadership team, and, and you probably also read what I wrote on my own blog post on Wednesday, and I put a great deal of emphasis on discipleship, and I did that for a reason. I mentioned it to you last week as well, because discipleship is the crucial element of what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. What's the point? of claiming Christ as your savior if you don't claim him as your Lord. He demands both. You know, you can't ask God to give you the gift of grace and then not be beholden to him. It's just the way of things, right? And so discipleship by its very definition is to embrace disciplines. And the disciplines we're talking about are those precepts outlined by Christ, who, by the way, is in his divine nature, not only the one who speaks the red ink, but the one who inspires and authored the entire Bible. You may think that that's not accurate in its stating, but the truth is that the Bible is the word of God in as much as God inspired those who wrote it. And they may have been flawed individuals. They may have been people who wrote to their particular times, but students of scripture quickly recognize the divine nature of scripture. And if they will put just a little bit of effort into it and pray fervently while they read, and if they will observe with those who have you know, more experience, for example, and more knowledge so that there's a community approach to scripture, will readily recognize the supreme authority that comes through the Bible, not exclusively, but in a profoundly large and significant way. And I've always thought, boy, what it would have been like to be one of those people on the road to Emmaus. Now, after Easter, we'll talk about that more, but on the road to Emmaus, a couple of the disciples who were dismayed about all of the events around the death of Jesus and the claim of his resurrection, met a stranger on the road who proceeded to explain the entire Bible to them. World's greatest Bible study ever because it's the one who wrote it teaching you what it means, Jesus. How it would have been to be on that road to Emmaus and have heard the scriptures interpreted by the one who spoke through them. So our very comprehension of what discipleship is, is defined for us in scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ, and most importantly, in the infusion of the Holy Spirit into every aspect of our Christian living. You know, I taught about the Holy Spirit in all the churches that I've served prior to this one, not that there've been that many. And I tell you the truth, my friends, in every one of those churches, I had longtime members say to me, this is the first time we've ever heard this. (laughs) It's difficult to wrap your mind around it, I hope, that this news of the Holy Spirit and the importance of being spirit-filled believers in a church that is in, in its very essence the embodiment of the Spirit of Christ, it's, it's incredible to me that 
churches within this denominational structure and the organizations that, that it spawns under a founder, by the way, who was profoundly influenced by the Holy Spirit and who determined that there was no way to be a fully functional Christian without the Holy Spirit. And yet somehow in my 25 year career, I was the first pastor in at least anyone's recent memory who taught them about the Holy Spirit. Now I'm glad to say that the first time I brought it up here, I was happily informed that it hadn't been brought up lately, but it wasn't an unfamiliar concept, praise God. And so the person of the Holy Spirit is the critical life's blood of the body of Christ. And those of us who are born again into that family of Christ, that he gave us membership in through his death and his resurrection. And now he ascended to heaven, awaiting that time when he will return at the Father's behest, and no one knows except the Father when that is. And in the meantime, we are Christ on earth. Our discipleship means more than embracing some relatively easy disciplines. Our discipleship means more than just coming to church on a regular basis, giving money on a regular basis, helping out with a few projects on a regular basis. It is about devoting your entire life to Christ and his authority over your life is more important than anyone else's authority. Early Christians sacrificed their lives rather than pledging allegiance to Caesar, who declared himself God. When's the last time anybody put you in a position like that? And so when we're asked by Jesus, no, really commanded by Jesus to go, it means two things, really. And it's as old as the Bible because this is exactly what happened to the Israelite pilgrims in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus. He's asking you first to release and let go of something and leave it behind. You just can't go to the promised land until you get out of Egypt. And trust me when I say this, the, the story of the Exodus is about so much more than even Cecil B. DeMille in all of his genius and with his big budget can tell you in a movie. That story is so much richer than that. It's about people who became like the Egyptians. And so they were not only oppressed as slaves, they were oppressed by the worldliness and the ungodliness of the people with whom they lived. And they had been set apart by a covenant with Abraham to be different from the world. And so when they left Egypt, they were not only leaving behind something they didn't like, which was slavery, but they left behind a lot of things they were quite comfortable with. And there was the problem. There's an old preacher saying, you know, that it took them about three days to get out of Egypt, but it took about 40 years to get Egypt out of them. 
And many just had to die. That's what it really came down to. In the story of the Exodus, there are people who quickly turned back to Egypt. There were people who quickly introduced abominable beliefs into the, the new journey that was going to be toward total devotion to God. And, and so they made the fatted, you know, the, or the, not the fatted calf, wrong story. They made the golden calf. They worshiped it. They even gave it credit for letting them out of Egypt. They, they so distorted the truth and so convinced the weaker people among them that many were consumed by God's outrage as a result. And so over time, only a remnant was allowed to enter into the land of the promise because they remained faithful. And this is still true today. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a kingdom that we are headed toward. And that kingdom is his kingdom to reign over, meaning that if we want to be citizens of that kingdom, we are immediately and readily willing to serve the king, whatever the cost. Now, I want to transition some in order to say what I know many of you are probably anxious to hear more about, but to put this in, in our current context, it is important for us to realize that discipleship demands more of us than any of us can do consistently. Let me just restate that again. This is about doing and being something that's pretty much impossible for us. And so you say, well, then what's the point? Well, the point is, is that it acknowledges both our inferiority and our natural tendency to disappoint God, to fail to meet up to God's holiness, but then to recognize that he's loved us enough to save us from that natural propensity of ours to sin against him, but it demands all the more of us for love's sake. Or to put it more simply, we embrace discipleship as our theme and purpose for living, even though we are aware that we cannot adequately fulfill all of discipleship's expectations. I have bad habits that I want to break, and one day, with God's help, I will because I will continue to strive for it. I have parts of my story growing up and throughout my young adult life that include parts that didn't really represent Christ well, but in time, with the Spirit's help, I became more disciplined and more personally devoted to God with every aspect of my life. And yet there's so much more room for improvement. And, and so to be a disciple is to admit that you will never fully arrive at perfect discipleship until you are completely perfected in the resurrection. So in the meantime, it's something we call sanctification, a commitment to total devotion to God's will and the leadership of Christ as king. That's discipleship. Now, you have heard off and on for years about the dysfunction in our denomination and the deep divides in our denomination over matters of discipleship. 
That's what I'm calling it. Now, I'm not naive, and I know you're not naive, and if we want to, we can talk about it as though the only thing that matters is the church's position on same-sex marriages and whether clergy are gay or not. But that's really not the issue. Don't be distracted by that topic. It is something that we need to discuss amongst ourselves, but it is more about discipleship and what that means than anything else. It's a debate or a discussion about whether disciples acknowledge that some parts of being a disciple are very, very difficult, but we still uphold the reign of Christ as king. We still uphold God's precepts as honorable and unchanging because of the holiness from which they come. To put it in a simpler way, I hope, what we're saying is is that God never changes. God's holiness never changes. Christ saved us because of that. And this is why we must embrace Christ as the leader of our lives. It doesn't mean that we hate or reject anybody who is struggling with sin because that would mean to hate and reject the person you look at in the mirror. So don't be confused by that. Recognize that what we're really about is discipleship. And it means that while we make this journey with other sinners, we will all encounter difficulty maintaining the disciplines and striving for personal holiness. And some of those difficulties will be hard to accept. But the decision that we have to make is, does God change God's mind? Does God change God's mind? Does God say, well, you know, back in the old days, I felt this way, but now I feel differently. Well, that means that you have to consider your whole concept of God's fundamental nature. If God is wholly apart from everything that God has created, and therefore God exists outside of time and space and creation, then it means that God is unchanging because God doesn't pass through time the way we do. God is always the same. It means that when God said to Moses, I am, he is in my repeating those words right now saying to you, I am, because he always is. Therefore, whatever God said 4,000 years ago, he might as well have said right this minute because he is unchanging and outside of space and time. And for the record, not even a he We just don't have language for who God is. And so we tend to be patriarchal as a human nature thing. But don't be deceived by those who would say that there's inherent sexism in what we believe. We're just people who have limited vocabularies and small minds. And so we do the best we can. But don't be confused by the humanistic interpretation of holy ethereal matters. Disciples live for the sake of a kingdom that is invisible and at least the world is blind to it. Now, I have to round this down as best I can, so let me close with some fundamental points. 
You have heard, perhaps, most of you, we've tried to keep you informed but not to overly alarm you because the developments are so fluid and so unpredictable. But to summarize what I wrote to you this week in some messages, and there is a printed copy of one of the messages out there if you need a paper copy. They're also accessible online and convenient to get. But to summarize what has divided our denomination for decades has been largely characterized as a matter of human sexuality, but it really does come down to whether or not the Bible is efficient in and of itself to give us direction for the way we should live and serve as disciples of Jesus Christ. Again, knowing that it will not be likely that any of us will perfectly adhere to all of God's expectations, but that we would value God so much that we would not presume to think that God changes his mind or that his rules for living ever change. It's the whole reason we need a savior, but I, I repeat myself. And so these things have divided us so much that our denomination's leadership has become pretty ineffective, really, and dysfunctional. And our whole leadership body called the General Conference has become dysfunctional to the, to the extent that something had to be decided once and for all so we could put this behind us and move on. And so a special General Conference was called. And unfortunately, that decision didn't go the way a lot of people thought it would. And so it didn't resolve it for a very vocal group of people. So that rather than putting it behind us as was intended, only if it went certain ways, they said, well, we've got to come up with a plan then. And so in 2020, in January, it was announced that there would be a, a protocol for uh, peaceful separation. In other words, there would be a way to allow people who do not want to see the leadership of the United Methodist Church change its position on certain core things about the Bible, about the nature of God, and yes, about human sexuality, to leave the denomination. And then those who would refer to uh, the discipline and, and choose to change it so that it is more accommodating to the flesh. And yeah, I'm opinionated, I guess you can tell that. Then uh, they would, there would be a separation. And so this protocol for separation was widely accepted in January 2020, and our leaders began to talk about it and, and uh, formed a, a, a consensus of sort a, around the potential outcomes. And that looked like the momentum was so great that by May of 2020, we would be presented with this opportunity to disaffiliate with the United Methodist Church and unite with something new that would be a um, expression of a, say, more conservative view, I guess you could say. And this was something that we hadn't made up our minds about as leaders and certainly hadn't bothered to tell you about yet because we were still waiting to see how it all unfolded. And y'all know what happened in March of 2020. Well, the momentum that had pressed people quickly towards being able to embrace this separation was lost because of the pandemic. And because of the pandemic, those who would organize general conferences of the leadership of the United Methodist Church put off the 
conference for a year and then last year in 2021 put it off again until this year and this year put it off until 2024. Thus, letting all the air out of the tires and reducing any momentum to nothing. And in my opinion, it's an indication of corruption. And please understand that when I use the word corruption, I mean it in the sense of rust, <laughs> okay? I'm not talking about the character of the people involved. I have no position or authority to judge them as people. But what I know is, is that decay is a natural expression of sin. That's why we have entropy in the world. And this is told to us in the very beginning of the Bible. But decay leads to things like rust, and rust leads to a lack of integrity in a structure, and the lack of integrity in a structure leads to collapse. And this was an indication that we had a rusty system. That is what I mean when I say it became corrupt. And so this puts this, this church, this congregation, and many like us in a position right now of asking ourselves, do we want to remain affiliated with the United Methodist Church or not? I don't have the answer for you, and your leadership team didn't come up with an answer for you. It's my job today to tell you that we're asking that question. And you have to think about whether that's what you want or not. And what I would like you to think about primarily is that the fundamental questions you might have would be easily answered so that I can even tell you right now that if you are wondering what that means to the way we live and do church and, and, and how we function from week to week, if we were to disaffiliate, it would mean no particular change into what you're experiencing right now. The church would just keep happening the way it always has. We would continue to govern the church the way we always have. We would continue to worship the same way we always have. So please don't worry about that. And uh, if we were to align ourselves with a newer expression, it would have to be a choice that we make so that we feel as though we've maintained the integrity of what we think is most important here as the family of God at Shiloh. So what we really want to ask you to consider right now is do you want to remain a part of the United Methodist Church? Don't say yes or no right this minute. No decision is made wisely on impulse. And rest assured that the leadership hasn't made a decision on your behalf. They're not even supposed to do that. In fact, you should know that if you should decide that you want to disaffiliate with the United Methodist Church, that it has to be a two-thirds majority of the members of this congregation. So your membership matters on this particular issue. If you are a member of Shiloh United Methodist Church, you have a vote as to whether we remain affiliated with the United Methodist Church or disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church. This decision isn't going to be rushed. It's not going to happen today or tomorrow or anything like that. But it is in your best interest, and we believe honoring the Holy Spirit as leaders, that we just tell you. We're thinking it over. <laughs> the leaders are thinking it over, and we want your thoughts to be a part of that decision. We want you to weigh in. We want you to pray. 
We want you to ask yourself what matters most. Now, yeah, I've definitely tried to influence you today. It's my job, you know. It's a preaching thing. You try to influence people. And it's a dangerous job because what if you're leading people in a poor direction? Well, Jesus said, let it be better for a person like that to have a millstone tied around his neck and cast into the ocean. I don't particularly want Jesus to do that to me. But I fear that many in a position like mine aren't afraid of it. They're not afraid of Jesus and that bothers me. Because there is a certain amount of discipleship that requires a certain fear of the Lord, a certain recognition that if God is displeased with you, God's wrath is something you don't want to think about. Which is why we need a savior. Otherwise, we're destined for God's wrath. That is the scriptural truth. So our, our question for you today is, where do you see us going? As the body of Christ here in Jasper at this place called Shiloh, where do you see us going? That's way more important than the question about what we're trying to leave behind. The matter of what to leave behind is simply defined by whether or not we can get where we're going if we remain tethered to what we are currently connected with. So the, the decision to disaffiliate, for example, isn't nearly as important as the decision about where we're going. And so let the language of our discussion be about that. Are you devoted to biblical Christianity and discipleship to Jesus Christ the King? That's the question you want to ask. And the question you want to ask is, is how will we as a congregation of Christ followers embrace something new? And are we courageous enough to leave something behind in order to do it? And if you decide not to do it, I shouldn't imply that that means you're not courageous because courageous, courage is really about making the decision. It's about having the conversation. And I want to really emphasize that because I correct myself as I say that. Don't, don't be tempted to think that Pastor Dan is calling you a coward if you don't want to move away from the United Methodist Church. That's not what I mean to say. What I mean to say is, is that you must have the courage to have the conversation, to pray the prayer, to Ask yourself if it's time. Many of you have done this in other aspects of your life. You, you live in the same community all your life and then a new opportunity comes up in some faraway place and you, go, you, you sit down and talk to your family and your relatives that you've lived down the street from for all these years and you say, I feel like it's time to make a change and it means leaving behind something comfortable and moving towards something not entirely knowable but very, very promising. That takes courage. And sometimes it takes courage to say, as much as I embrace the potential, I think I'll stay where I am. I really don't want you to feel as though either one is lacking courage. But what I do want to tell you is, is that I don't want to be a part of a denomination that I'm embarrassed by. I don't want to live with the fear of contradiction when I tell people in this community over and over again how much I love the Lord, how devoted I am to Jesus Christ as King and his discipleship. And then they say, yeah, but that, that denomination you represent, it's, it's so messed up. And how do we know that you're not really more like that? And, and, and so you find yourself backpedaling and apologizing for an, an association that 
is somewhat discreditable. That's my opinion. So I want to invite you, as I pray, to think and pray throughout the week. Talk in your Sunday school classes, your small groups. Talk with your fellow Christians. And uh, I'll be in the halls between services if you want me to step into your class and talk more with you. Your leadership will be providing you with information. Lots of information. An opportunity. Pay attention. Please answer your emails. Listen to uh, the, uh, the conversations that happen. Uh, look at the text messages. Whenever we send you a text, you'll always know it's safe to open the link because we have Shiloh in the name of the link. So we have a unique pers- uh, connection that we use to link you to things so that you can feel safe about that. Um, you know, feel free to call. Feel free to, to make appointments to chat with me or others. And I only say that because usually you can walk in on me, but if everybody's walking in, it might get a little messy. So, you know, call ahead. But we're, we're available to talk. Not to persuade, but to hear, but to honestly express our own opinions too and where we feel the Spirit is leading us. I think it's time to pray and go to the Lord's table now. Almighty God, you know how I have anxiously anticipated this moment. And you know how I fear having said things that I shouldn't say or misrepresented your will and your spirit in some way. And so I pray that you would take these words and infuse them with your Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of the hearers. I pray that you would defend us against the enemy and that wherever this beginning points us, that it would be a holy journey filled with holy conversations, a journey of refinement by your Holy Spirit as we move away from wherever you want us to move away and move toward wherever you want us to be going. Amen. Amen.